Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. As I was preparing for this morning, I, I began to remember that, that movie, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And one of my favorite scenes from that movie is, is when they're in a room and there's a painting. And they begin to, to look at this painting. And then that, uh, as they're looking at that painting, uh, an annoying, little irritating little cousin of theirs uh, by the name of Eustace starts badgering Lucy and Edmund who were there and saying, it's a silly belief that you believe in a place called Narnia. And, uh, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, the painting starts to come. You know what? I, why don't I just show you? Rather than try to tell you, why don't I just show you? Lucy, have you seen the ship before? Yes. It's very naughty looking, isn't it? Yeah. Well, just another reminder of the way home and all that. There are lots of two orphans who wasted their time believing in Narnia nursery. It's fascinating, man. I'm picturing it. It's hideous. it looks like the water's actually moving. What a rubbish, see? That's what happens when you read all those fanciful novels and fairy tales. Makes you want to see the rest of the movie now, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, through the first book, the children enter into this realm called Narnia through a wardrobe. They, they go through this wardrobe and they enter into this area called Narnia, this, this other world. But in, in this movie, the way that they enter Narnia is, is through this painting. And the picture that's on the wall begins to reframe their reality. It, it reframes who they are because uh, they, it takes them into this world where there is this lion by the name of Aslan and, and, and this entire new reality where their siblings in the first movie, Peter and Susan and now Edmund and Lucy, they're just not boys and girls, but they're actually kings and queens, kings and queens of Narnia. And why do I share this? Because I, I think that, that sometimes when we take a look at the Bible, we, we forget what it really is. You see, the Bible reframes, uh, is, is a picture that, that can reframe our very perspective. It redefines our reality when we begin to read uh, and, and interpret life through the lens of Scripture rather than just our own understanding of things. In fact, this is what 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, what the, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. See, through the lens of, of scripture, we're aware of a different reality. It redefines possibility. In fact, in Philippians, Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Romans, he, he read this, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loved us. We are more than conquerors. It reframes who we are. It reframes our reality. And the truth is, I, I think that for a lot of people, the Bible is simply like a picture hanging on the wall. We look at it every once in a while and we say, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, wow, that's a great story. Oh, that's good. It sits on a bedtime table and we, we give it a glance every now and then or hardly at all. And it's kind of a pretty picture to look at. It's static. It's status quo. Why? Because all we do is read it, even if we do that. We don't often obey it. But I, can I suggest to you that the Bible really only comes alive to us when we begin to apply it to our lives? When we begin to obey it? That's why James says that then we've been doing a study on Wednesday nights. I encourage you to, to, to come out. But, but the book of James says to not simply be hearers of the word, but doers also. It's not enough just to be a hearer of the word. Sure, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But it's not enough just simply to be a hearer of the word of God. We've got to be a doer of the word of God. A doer of it. It's not just enough to hear a sermon or read the Bible. We've got to apply it to our everyday lives. And so over the last 11 weeks, we have been studying the Bible in this series we've been calling Long Story Short. And we talked about creation, and we talked about God's promise to Abraham. We looked at the Exodus. We looked at the time of the kings. We looked at the time of captivity. We looked at the time of their return and, and the comeback. And then we looked at Jesus. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, we see him doing all kinds of miracles in people's lives and teaching with authority unlike any other. And we see how Jesus came and then gave his life on the cross. And last week we celebrated Easter as we talked about the resurrection that Jesus was not dead, but that he is alive. And I want to pause today before we get into the message too much to remind us that these are not just stories that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. They're more than just stories that happened then, but they're microcosms of what God wants to do in our lives right now, today. We need an exodus, don't we? We need a return we need a resurrection. In fact, we need to do, we need God to do in our lives what we see in these stories. But for that to take place, you and I have to enter the picture. We have to get into the story ourselves. And that's this next part of what we see throughout this lens of long story short. We see what God did. We see how God interacted with Israel, how God interacted with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, how God interacted with, with, with Moses, how God interacted with Joshua, how jo God interacted with the judges and the kings and was involved in David's life, how God spoke through the prophets, and how God worked in the lives of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Nehemiah and Esther and and. and Ruth and how, how, how God's story was throughout and we see how God worked in and through his son Jesus Christ and, and how he was risen from the dead but at this point in the story we see that we are invited to be participants we are invited to jump through the frame to get involved to jump through the picture and to enter the story Last week, we looked at Luke 24. Jesus appeared to two followers as they were leaving Jerusalem for a small village about seven miles away called Emmaus. 
They followed Jesus, and, 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 and they were followers, but then Jesus had, had died on the cross, and they thought that their hopes and dreams had died with him. And as they journeyed, Jesus showed up, and they didn't recognize him. In fact, it wasn't until he opened up the Scriptures to show that they pointed to him and what he would do, that he would die on the cross, that he would be resurrected from the dead. And it wasn't until Jesus then gave them a picture of where they were about to, to eat a meal, and he broke bread, that their physical eyes were opened after their spiritual eyes had been opened to believe and hope that it could be true, that Jesus could be alive. And he revealed himself to them. And they, they ran back, and they told the other disciples what they had encountered. And over the next 40 days, Jesus began to appear to different groups of people. He began to show them that he was alive. He began to show up on the scene in, in several different occasions. In fact, Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 records one of those. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, during Jesus' 40 days, he does two things. He does two things. One, he gives them many convincing proofs that he's alive. I don't know about you, but I find that to be encouraging. I find that encouraging. I love how honest the Bible is. These followers still had some doubts. In fact, if you look at Matthew's gospel, right before the Great Commission, when Jesus is talking to his followers, in verse 17, it records this. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. You know, that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible is honest. It's not trying to pretend as if everybody was on board and everybody believed right away. There were some that still doubted. But Jesus Christ comes to give us that assurance. He comes to give us convincing proofs that he is alive. And you know, can I just say this? That there are times where we wrestle with our faith, isn't it? You might be wrestling with your faith. There are times we wrestle with our faith. But I want you to know you're not alone. And I, you know what I found? Secondly, I found that, that, that faith... It's kind of built the way muscles are. You know, when you're working out, and, and I'm not one that works out a whole lot. I need to work out a lot more. But when you're working out and you're, you're trying to do some, some weightlifting, you know, as you, are, as you are lifting, as you're doing, your muscles are hurting. They're starting to break down in order to be built back up again. That's the way that, that muscles are built up. Often they have to be broken down. Well, faith is always going to go through a process of deconstruction and reconstruction. And there are times in that process where, as James talks about in, in, in his writings, that, that take joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and when perseverance has finished its work, it will make you complete, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. How is that process? That process that we go through is often a process of being broken down where we have to learn how to trust when everything around us has been falling apart. And that's how faith is built. But in the middle of that, how many know sometimes doubts can occur? Sometimes we can struggle. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says that Jesus gives us assurances. Jesus comes to give us proofs. And those proofs is that he is alive. Jesus goes to great lengths to give us assurance in our faith. The second thing that Jesus did during that 40 days, he gave convincing proofs to kind of satisfy some of their doubts because they were going to be his witnesses. But second, he shares about the kingdom of God. See, they thought that he was coming to set up an earthly kingdom in the fulfillment of what they read in the Old Testament and how they understood it through their own lens and how they perceived it to be. But during these times, Jesus instructs them. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. 
For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Understanding this, Jesus knew that if they were going to be able to to carry on his work, they were going to need the tools and the power to do so. They were going to need something to be able to do that. They were were going to need something in order to do that. Jesus said, you know what, there's a much bigger thing. You have a physical kingdom, but I've got a spiritual work that I'm about to do. There's a different kingdom. In order for that kingdom to be built up, listen, you're going to need something. You're going to need something. And they didn't understand. They didn't understand the mission of Jesus because in Acts 1-6, this is what they asked. They gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you, are you going at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? They still thought he was going to restore an earthly kingdom. How many times do we misunderstand the mission and the plan of God? Because we're reading it through our own lens. And what they come to realize is Jesus had a much bigger plan. Jesus had a, a much bigger kingdom. And so he said to them this in Acts 1, 7, and 8. This is his answer to them. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' plan was less about them knowing the dates and the times of exactly how things would turn out and what the future would look like, and it was more about him calling them to the mission that he had started and that he had come to do. You will be my witnesses, what? Locally, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, regionally, and then to the uttermost parts of the ends of the earth, globally. You will carry out the work that I have begun. I want you to know, friends, that this mission, this mission didn't just apply to the disciples that were there with Jesus who had witnessed the resurrection But this is a call to everybody who places their faith and is a disciple and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our English word for mission comes from the Latin word meaning sending. Sending. In John 17, 18, Jesus said, In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. John 20, 21, Jesus said after the resurrection, he met with the disciples, he appeared to them in the upper room, and he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Do you get it? Friends, we get to be a part of the story. We get to jump in and be a part of the story. The story is ongoing. The story didn't just end when Jesus ascended, when he rose from the grave and ascended. The story continues through you and I. Jesus has given us a mission in the world. Our lives are not to be lived simply for ourselves, but you and I have been created and set apart to join God in his work of redemption in the world. John 17, 18, we we see that something occurs before Jesus sends us out. And what occurs is that Jesus gives us a mission in the same way. In the same way the Father has given me a mission, I I have given you a mission. What was Jesus' mission? Let's start there. The Father had given him a mission. What was Jesus' mission? Several passages helped answer that question. In fact, Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus said this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. How many know there are people that are lost? There are people that are lost. There are people that are hurting. There are are people that are lost. And we, we sing that song, Amazing Grace, right? How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. 
See, that's Jesus' mission. That's a nice song that we sing. We, we like to sing that song in spiritual times and religious times. Did you ever stop to understand what that means? That the grace of God opened up your eyes. The grace of God found you. You were the, you were the lost son. You were the lost pearl. You, you, you were the, 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 the one that, 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 that Jesus would leave the 99 and go after the one. We sing that song, Reckless Love. Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. This is the mission of Jesus. In fact, one time he was, he was sharing about his personal mission statement, and it was, it was to fulfill a prophecy that the book of Isaiah had talked about in Isaiah chapter 61. And so Jesus goes into a, a synagogue, which is a, a, a local, we might call it a local church today, in, in Nazareth, which was his hometown on the Sabbath day. And he stood up and he read it from the book of Isaiah, and he said this, Luke 4, 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All eyes on the synagogue looked at him intently. And then he began to speak to them, and he said, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. It was a messianic prophecy. It envisioned a a future Messiah who would be both a king and a servant, and, and perhaps Jesus' public statement of his identity, the first public statement of, of who he was, he says, listen, the scriptures have been fulfilled this day in me. This is what I have come to do. This is my mission statement. And there are three great promises that we see, three great promises, components of this mission statement of the Messiah and what his kingdom would be like. The first is this, it would be a proclamation of the good news of salvation. That's Jesus' mission, the proclamation of the good news of salvation. We talk about proclaiming the gospel. Typically, we mean evangelism. We mean a verbal proclamation of the good news of salvation, how it can be received by anyone simply by placing their faith in Jesus Christ, believing not only in his death, but that he was raised from the dead and inviting Jesus into your life to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you, as the Bible says, from all unrighteousness, making you right or righteous with God. We can commit our lives to Christ. I know that we... That, that, that there are pastors of scripture that, that you know, and, and people that have said that, that, that witnessing is just you, just, you just have to live it. You just, you just live it out. People will see your life and, and, and let them see your life before they hear your voice and all that. And, and you know, sometimes that, that is not all, that's not all untrue. But I've got to tell you, it's more than just living life. Living life is part of it. Certainly, you, your, 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 your lips and what you say should match up with your actions. But if you never say anything, then you're falling short. Because there's a proclamation. There's a declaration. Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses. Well, what do witnesses do? They tell about what they've seen and heard. You got to talk about it. I was a witness to this. If there was something that happened, a crime being committed, or an accident that took place, and you were a witness, they're going to do what? Ask you questions, and what are you supposed to do? You don't have to make stuff up. You just say, this is what I experienced. This is what I saw. This is what I heard. And that's what Jesus calls us to. There is a proclamation of the good news that Jesus Christ is alive, that he has come to save, that he has come in order that those who have no hope can have hope in him. That those who are down and bound in their sin can find hope and healing and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. 
And we are witnesses of that. Proclamation is a, is a part of the mission, to be a witness of what we have seen and what we have heard. But that's only part of what we are called to do. Proclamation is an important part, but it's only part of what we're called to do. For the second part that Jesus talked about is compassion for the sick and the sorrowful. We see this in his reference in verse 18, recovery of sight for the blind. Isaiah 61 also says to bind up the brokenhearted. And these references indicate that, that, that part of what we are called to do, part of the mission of Jesus was compassion for those that were sick and sorrowful. The concern was not just for a spiritual condition, but Jesus also came to bring help and healing in the midst of a, of a physical well-being. And we see the same concern time after time in Jesus' ministry. Not only did he teach, not only did he preach, not only did he proclaim the kingdom of God and, and how to live, but he healed the sick. He, he, he cast out demons. He raised up the lame. He even raised the dead. We see that Jesus had eyes of compassion. He fed the hungry. And part of what we are called to do in love is to address the human brokenness in tangible ways. And that's where the other part of that comes in. Yes, we are to proclaim the gospel, but we are also to help in meeting human need for human compassion is a part of the gospel as much as preaching and teaching is. It is all-encompassing. It's got to be both. It's not and or or. It's, it's both. It's both. And that's what we see in Jesus. Thirdly, it was a commitment to justice. We, we, we see this commitment to justice in terms of proclaiming freedom for the prisoners or to release those that are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the first century, this might have been an allusion to prisoners or the oppressed who, who were living under Roman occupation. But in a broader sense, anyone who's been the victim of injustice, whether that be political, social, or economic, that we as followers of Jesus Christ ought to care because he cares. Proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor was a reference in the Old Testament to the year of Jubilee, where slaves were set free, where debts were forgiven, and all land was returned to its original owners. The year of Jubilee was God's way of protecting against the rich getting too rich or the poor getting too poor. Proclaiming the whole gospel means that, that we not only care about the proclaiming that Jesus has come to save, and that's very important. It's not just simply com compassion, but it's also getting involved to help see captives set free, those that are bound set free, those that are oppressed set free. It's getting involved. It's getting our hands dirty. And that's what Jesus came to do, to set the captives free. Proclaiming the whole gospel means that we, we not only proclaim that people would hear the good news of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, but that would even express the love of Jesus in tangible ways, compassion for the sick and the poor, and biblical injustice to right the wrongs that are so prevalent in our world today. God is concerned about spiritual, physical, and social dimensions of our being. That's the whole gospel. That's the good news. It's more than a social revolution. It has the power to change the world. And this was Jesus' mission. And it was the mission of all those who claim to follow him. It's my mission. It's your mission. It's the mission of the church. We have an important mission, don't we? 
I mean, after Jesus gave the mission uh, of being his witnesses, here's what it says in verse 9. After, after he said this, he was taken up from before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So after sharing about the mission, what did Jesus do? Jesus ascended. The Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> and Matthew shares another aspect of the mission in his gospel. Prior to the ascension, Matthew records the following that Jesus said. Jesus said, came to them. And said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, if you've been any ch in, in church for any length of time, you know this is what? What is it? Somebody help me. The Great Commission, right? We know this is the Great Commission, Co-mission, not just simply uh, Jesus' mission, but as a mission that he shares with us. We do it co with Jesus. His mission. His mission. And I don't know about you, but I've been in church for, for a great length of time, and I start to hear a message like this preached, and, and I, you know, I've already been going on, and I can just, I can just see. I, I, you know, I, I can see what's going on. I know. I, I feel it myself. It's kind of like overwhelming. Oh, that's a lot. How am I supposed to do that? You want me to share my faith? You just said proclaim. You, you want me to share my faith, but I don't know enough. I, what if I don't, can't answer somebody's question? What, what if they ask me something that's too difficult for me to answer? What if they, what if they come back and they don't believe and, and we get in this argument? And I, how, how am I supposed to share my How can I do that? I, I, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do it. And it becomes very intimidating. It becomes, a, it becomes something that is overwhelming. And, and sometimes that's what happens. We get overwhelmed. And I think sometimes we, we simply make the Great Commission too difficult. We make it too difficult. But Jesus, as he was giving the Great Commission, he gives a couple of important aspects that encourage us to step out in faith and to participate and join the story. To join the story. And I want you to, to see two assurances of Jesus in the Great Commission. The first is the assurance of his authority. The assurance of his authority. Notice that before he tells him to go and make disciples, there's a word there. And the word is what? Therefore. Therefore is a connecting word. Therefore means there is something that comes before. In other words, therefore, do this and this. Therefore, what? Because of this, this, and this. Therefore, do this. Well, what is the therefore? What comes behind? What comes before this? What's the foundation to this command to go and make disciples? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus' authority is the foundation for the mission. Oftentimes we fear. Why? We fear because we're looking at our own strength. We're looking at what we can do. We're looking at our own abilities. We're like Moses, and God comes to the burning bush, and he says, listen, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and I'm sending you to be the leader. Set, tell him, set, let my people go. And he goes, I can't do that. Well, why can't you do that? Because I can't speak. I'm not good enough. I, I can't do that. And God says, who made your mouth? <laughs> oh, not me. I already failed. I was there and I already failed. No, I can't do that. God says, <laughs> no, you. No, you. We always come up with excuses, don't we? I, I, maybe, maybe you don't. I come up with excuses. I just own it myself. 
I, when, when, oftentimes when God asks me to do something bigger than me, that's called faith. God asks me to do something bigger than me, I'm always like, there's no way. I, I can't do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not qualified enough. That I, I, that's just not for me. I can't do that. We get intimidated. But Jesus says here, listen, therefore, therefore, what is therefore? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. In other words, I'm your authority. You don't go in your own strength. I'm your authority. I'm the authority. I've been given authority over heaven and earth. So it's so important for us to understand this. You know, when we look at the mission under our own authority and power, we can't look at that. We've got to look at ourselves as representatives of God. Paul writes this, 2 Corinthians 5.20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're his ambassadors. We, we are going on behalf of him. Why? Because what are we proclaiming? The kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is good news. I think our world today needs to know there's good news. There's good news. There is good news. There is hope. And there is healing. There are too many people that are bound. There are too many people that are discouraged. There are too many people that are depressed. There are too many people that are struggling. And we've got the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are called to go. But what if they don't believe us? Well, because we don't go in our own strength. We don't go in our own authority. Jesus said, listen, I'm commanding you to go, but before you go, wait. What? You said to go, wait. Wait. Yeah, wait. You're going to go, but wait. Wait for what? I don't like to wait. Wait for what? Wait for what my father promised, what you've heard me teach about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Oh, look at that. Verse 1, verse 8. You're going to be my witnesses, but what? What comes before that? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What are we to wait? We're to wait because God wants to empower us with his Holy Spirit. We want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this is a, there is a spiritual battle. You can look at all that's going on in the news. You can look at all the other stuff that's going on. And you can argue back and forth in human arguments all you want. But you've got to understand, this is not just a human thing. There is a spiritual thing that is going on. And in order to battle the spiritual, you've got to do it spiritually. Amen. The power of the Holy Spirit. And I know there are some churches and some denominations that don't believe that the the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is for today. We're a Pentecostal church. We do. And I'd love to walk you through the scriptures that tell it. Because I've got to be honest with you. I don't know how we can be effective in our world today if we don't learn and we don't desire and we don't seek and we don't don't just say, Lord, I need the power of you. I need the baptism in your Holy Spirit. The baptism in the Holy Spirit transformed Peter. See, Peter, Peter was bold. We, we oftentimes say Peter wasn't bold because Peter denied Christ three times, you know, a fire. But you got to remember in the garden, Peter was the one that when they came to arrest Jesus, took out his sword. Even though there was whole, this whole group of Roman soldiers who had come to arrest Jesus, he pulled out, pulled out his sword and he tried to strike the head. He was a terrible swordsman. Tried to strike the, the head of the servant of the, the high priest and then it ended up cutting off his ear instead. And Jesus says, oh, that's not the boldness. And that's what some of us, some of us are wielding our swords. 
We're just carnage all over the place, and we wonder why we're not effective for the gospel, because that is not the kind of, that's not the kind of battle we're facing. We're facing a spiritual battle. And so when, when Peter was rebuked because he tried in his own strength, then all of a sudden he was weak because, he, well, that didn't work. Now I don't know. I, don't, I can't trust myself. And, I, and so he's around a fire, and a little girl says, I think, I think you, you, were, you were with him. You're one of his followers, not me. Three times before the rooster crows. And we, we chastise Peter for that. How could you deny the Lord Jesus Christ? How could you deny the Lord Jesus Christ? How could you do that? But I want to ask you, when was the last time you shared your faith? When there was a conversation going on, did you shy away? Maybe you didn't deny knowing Jesus, but maybe you didn't speak up either. Maybe you looked for some human type of reasoning for something. I'll read this book. We are Peter. We are intimidated. We are Peter. Until what? What transformed him? When Peter waited for the, for the Holy Spirit, when Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, when people were saying, these people are drunk, this is weird, what's going on? Peter stood up and proclaimed Jesus Christ. How could he do that? Because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. But that wasn't the, that wasn't the only time that he did that. In fact, in verse, in chapter 3, after, after the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, Peter and, and John are going up to the temple, and, uh, and, and there's a lame man that's begging. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, the right hand, he held him up, helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk, and they went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Did Peter preach at that point? What happened? He met the man's need. The man was lame. The man needed healing. He didn't, he didn't just need some money thrown at him. He needed healing. He needed healing, and under the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter says, look at me, and under the authority that was given to him by Jesus Christ, the authority that Jesus Christ had exercised in his mission, Peter says, listen, silver and gold I don't have, but I'm going to extend to you what you really need. I'm going to help you walk. And the man began to leap and praise the Lord. And Peter just doesn't go, wow, amen, man, we got to share that testimony next small group. What does Peter do? There's a crowd that starts to gather around, right? So what does Peter do? Peter preaches the gospel. He preaches about Jesus Christ. You see, our compassion efforts, our compassion evangelism, our, our ability when we step in and we are Jesus' hands and feet and we begin to meet needs, needs to be accompanied by the proclamation of the gospel. It precedes the proclamation of the gospel. The signs and the wonders then proceed that we can begin to say, Jesus Christ did this and Jesus Christ can do this in your life. But we need to walk in the authority. So what happens? They get arrested. <laughs> they get arrested. And, and, and they're called into question. You turn the page to Acts chapter 4, the next chapter. And this is one of the questions. They, they ask this question in verse 7. By what power or what name did you do this? Who, who gave you the authority to do this? Who gave you the badge? Who gave you the authority? Who, who told you to do this? And Peter boldly proclaims, and I love it. He says, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead. 
Peter's not mixing any words. Listen, you crucified him. You didn't recognize him. He was your Messiah, but God raised him from the dead. This is the name. This is the authority we walk in. It's not our own authority. It's the authority of Jesus Christ to do what his mission calls us to do. That's why we need the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And listen, this this is what verse 13 says, because we have all these excuses. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. All the disciples, they were special people. No, they weren't. They were just like you and I. They had everyday jobs. In fact, the one Judas who was the most qualified out of all of them betrayed Jesus. They were just, they were, they were this, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. To obey the Great Commission, to co-labor in the work that Jesus called us to do, you need more than education. You need more than just a knowledge of God's word. You, don't, you need more than training. And I, I'm not saying those things are bad, but I'm going to tell you something. You need more than just that. <laughs> you need more than that. They recognize what? They were functioning under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. It wasn't their schooling, and they were not anything special. They were simply walking in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. And the command to go and make disciples is founded on the authority and power that is ours through Jesus Christ. The second assurance that we have comes at the end. These are the bookends. So you have the therefore based on the authority. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. But then on the back end of this, we have another promise, another assurance. And that is verse 20 that says, and surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Friends, we are not alone. Jesus didn't just ascend to the right hand of the Father and say, okay, my hands are off. It's your work now. He says, no, I am going to be with you. In fact, Hebrews says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit doesn't just give us his power, but he gives us the very presence of God that lives inside of us each and every day. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit is our counselor, our comforter, and our guide. Doesn't leave us to carry out the mission alone. No, he is the promised Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and to open up doors. Peter and John arrested, questioned, threatened, speaking about Jesus. They could have been fearful. They could have been discouraged with continuing on with the mission. They were threatened. Don't speak in that name. Don't, we're going to let you go after they beat them and, after they, and then they sent them away and said, you know, we're going to let you go, but don't speak in that name. They could have been intimidated and said, well, we've got to figure out another way. We can't talk about this. We've got to figure out another way. That caused problems. It's going to cause problems. You start walking in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, don't expect everybody to like it. Well, I think we do. I think we have that rose-colored glasses thing. I think we do. Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted. Can I just tell you that? You're going to be persecuted. I don't want to be persecuted. You know what? I don't either. But Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If you're a follower of Jesus, expect it. Our world today doesn't like to hear that. When you function in the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be ruined. There will be people whose lives will be changed and there will be fruit. And there are other people that don't like to see that. And they're going to accuse and they're going to come after us. They'll come after you. Why? Because it's spiritual warfare. And so they could have been fearful, but what they recognized was there was an assurance of the presence of the Lord that they needed. And so they went back to the the other followers of Jesus, and they began to pray. They had a prayer meeting. And the end of chapter 4, now the Lord, now Lord, they're praying, consider their threats. 
and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In other words, don't let us keep our mouths shut, but we recognize that, that we can be fearful, we can be intimidated. We need your Holy Spirit to enable us to speak with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal. Perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. You want to speak the word of God boldly? You need the filling of the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, I need boldness. You can pray for boldness, but you need to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit because the byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit is boldness. It's the boldness to be able to speak. They, they went back together. They, they called on the presence of the Lord. They called on the power of the Lord. They called on his presence. They wanted to heal. They wanted signs and wonders to follow. But they also said, we need your presence. We need to recognize that Jesus has given us his presence and his power to carry out the mission he has given us. A mission of proclaiming salvation from the devastating effects of sin in our lives a mission of demonstrating compassion and healing and justice and deliverance for a world that is held bound by the enemy. Jesus accomplished what he came to do. And friends, now he is passing the baton on to us to finish his work. Like those disciples, the big story of Jesus is not finished. The long story short continues on, and it continues on through you and I. The heart of Jesus was to seek and to save the lost. And there are many in our world today that are hurting and that are lost. They need to know that Jesus loves them. They need to know that he is pursuing them and wooing them. And they need to know that there is salvation for their souls that is available through Jesus Christ. Here's a quote that I want to close with by St. Teresa of Avila. The worship team can begin to come. And it says this, Christ has no body on earth but yours. No hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion for the world is to look out. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands which he is to bless, that he is to bless us now. You know, like I said, I love a great story. I love a great movie. And like the Mission Impossible movies declare, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. Will you choose to accept the mission that Jesus Christ has given you to do? Will you be his hands and feet in the world? Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Jesus. It's time to enter the story. It's time to not just sit, let it sit on the wall, hang and look at it, a nice picture going, oh, how beautiful. <laughs> it's time to enter the story. Maybe for you, the entry point is that you need salvation. As I was sharing, maybe, maybe you need to invite Jesus to come into your life. Maybe you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, inviting him to come into your life today. And if you want to invite Jesus into your life, maybe you need to enter the story of salvation today by inviting Jesus into your life. Will you slip up your hand today? I want to lead you in a saving faith in Jesus Christ, a prayer of faith today. Anybody at all, I need to know Jesus today. I want to invite Jesus into my life today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. Secondly, you say, you know what, I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and man, I, I just, I need, I need the boldness. I, I, I want to continue his work. I want to, 
I want to continue his work. I want to share in the work that he has given me to do. And you just say, you know what, I want to make that commitment. I need his filling. I need his power. I just, I need his assurance. I need his courage. I need boldness today. And that's you. And you say, you know what, I want to, I want to follow in that. I want to do that work. And you say, I need prayer, though. I need prayer today. Will you slip up your hand today? Yeah, I want to continue in that work. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for salvation. For those that need salvation today, we pray, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I invite you into my life. Come in, cleanse me and make me new. And set me free to follow you. I confess that I believe in you. And on my own, I can't do it. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to make me new today, and to empower me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, some of us are followers of you. But Lord, it is so intimidating sometimes to share the gospel. Sometimes we can get afraid. Sometimes we can feel as if we're just, we don't know enough. Lord, we need your boldness. We need your courage. More than anything, we need your Holy Spirit. And I just pray you would fill us with your Holy Spirit this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your Holy Spirit empowering us to do what you've called us to do, empowering us to share our faith, empowering us to encourage and to love someone that needs to know your love to show compassion and to help meet needs, to point people to your salvation. Fill us today with your Holy Spirit so that we can fulfill the mission you have given us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's stand and just close just with the song of worship to the Lord, acknowledging Jesus Christ, our majesty. If you need prayer today, you want to come and you want someone to pray with you, will you just come as we pray today? Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.